It's a mean world out there. And it's a mean rage. Let's change the culture. Let's change the way we think about this world. Let's have a hell of a time doing it. Welcome to Mean Age Daydream, a home for comedy, a home for some politics, and a daydream of a world that doesn't suck. I'm Brian McWilliams. Welcome to this man world. Yes, welcome to Mean Age Daydream, everybody. I am uh, unbelievably excited to have a very special guest with me today, Dr. Barbara Colm, who I had the honor of meeting in Austria. I you know, flew over there for the uh, the Austrian Economics Conference, and uh, Barbara's coming at a, a perfect time to join us, because let me tell you, some of her unbelievably impressive resume, her positions, well, first off, Barbara, hello, welcome. <laughs> hey Brian, good to see you again. You I'm too. You too. Life in Vienna. <laughs> I, I, I'm very curious to hear about how life in Vienna is currently. By the way, but uh, let me let me tell people. Let me wow them with some of your positions here, because I want people to know just how impressive uh, Barbara is. Not only from a career standpoint, from a libertarian perspective, from a free market standpoint, uh, it is an honor to have you. So, Barbara is the vice president of the general counsel of the Österreichische National Bank. Uh, she is also the president of the Hayek Institute, director of the Austrian Economics. Center and the founder of the Free Market Roadshow. Now, you probably have heard in the past I've referenced the Free Market Roadshow and, of course, the Austrian Economics Conference because I was uh, honored to have been at the last economics conference that you held in Vienna at, uh, as a guest, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart for that incredible event. And I'm very curious to hear how the Free Market Roadshow has gone this year because I mean, everything that's happened in the world, right, the last couple of years seems to uh, to lend itself to our messaging. So tell me a little bit about what's what's happened in the uh, Free Market Roadshow. And then I want to hear how you got to where you are, too, because I think that's going to be an interesting thing to hear uh, about. Well, the, the, the Free Market Roadshow, this is actually the best invention we actually had in Austria uh, uh, during the past 15 years. Uh, in other words, we have been on tour for 15 years live, apart from the last two years, uh, where in 2021 we were, uh, we did live events and remote events, but in 2020 we were locked in as everybody else was. But this year our planning was perfect. All our partners, more than 120, by the way, in Europe, wow. uh, were able to pull it off and we had fabulous events from Israel onward to uh, Georgia, to uh, the North, Scandinavia, Stockholm, London, uh, Lisbon, everywhere across Europe, more than 30 cities in Europe that we visited and where we were discussing free market uh, solutions to today's problems. And of course, uh, everybody was kind of really uh, super well and happy to have our great speakers because we had international speakers from across the world, from different levels, whether they were business people or whether they were intellectuals, um, uh, think tankers, students from across uh, who wanted to debate and go to the roots of the current issues. I mean, inflation, for example, was a big topic everywhere. The lockdowns, the, the consequences of COVID policies across the world. So those were the, the things that were discussed. And of course, this can all be seen at our 
Free Market Roadshow website, and which you will definitely announce later. I shall. Yeah. And I'll put all the links to everything that the Austrian Economics Center is doing with Free Market Roadshow and you yourself. So we'll do that in the show notes so people can easily find them. But let's talk a little bit about you. And uh, I mean, you're widely regarded as one of the top libertarian thinkers in Europe, not only as a, as a female libertarian, which, you know, we're rarer. Fortunately, they're becoming less rare these days. But tell me a little bit about your getting into uh, free market philosophy and uh, libertarian philosophy. Well, you know, the thing is, I grew up in the Tyrol. The Tyrol has always been a pretty independent uh, state in Austria. And for centuries, actually, the Tyrolean farmers fought for their independence. They didn't have to go to war for the emperor. They only (laughs) had to go for war for their local Tyrolean landlord. Or the taxes also went to the local uh, guy and not to the state. So this is something (laughs) that was, of course... uh, truly important for the for the Tyrolians and we simply love our freedom. So this is one thing. The second thing I was privileged to be born in a family that was truly libertarian in the pro-market uh, classical libertarian sense. And uh, I remember when Hayek, for example, was awarded the Nobel Prize uh, in economics in 1974, we were debating that on our dinner table uh, <laughs> and our parents educated uh, as this way to be open and to to learn to be uh, to love competition to be self responsible and all those values that actually libertarians and pe- freedom loving people cherish and so this was my first connection to Hayek and then later uh, at the university in Austria they don't teach Austrian economics at universities if you're lucky you touch upon Schumpeter and that's basically it but even in the philosophy courses are um, uh, you, you don't learn much but that I was something learned- that's shocking and I apologize for interrupting exactly. you, but I remember I, I was shocked to hear that and, uh, you know, there was a wonderful tour that was provided to us, you know, going through the the city centers and kind of pointing out the different economic uh, highlight zones, you know, and talking about Hayek, of course. And, yeah, I just I couldn't believe that you have this unbelievable economic mind that just isn't taught. It's like they're trying to is it an intentional writing of history to omit Hayek's work? Well, the, the, the point is Hayek, unfortunately, was not very popular in, in Europe in general until Thatcher and Reagan. Uh, and even though even then he was only popular in conservative circles and uh, in, in some intellectual circles who did not follow the Keynesian uh, mass masses. And, and we've seen a welfare state in Europe and uh, in Austria, actually, um, that rose from the 70s onwards that totally em- embraced Keynesian economics. And then you just don't discuss uh, what the libertarian solution would be. Because if we look at one of the great guys in German history who, who made the German economic miracle possible after World War II was Ludwig Erhard. And he was a total believer in markets and in individual and entrepreneurial freedom. As a matter of fact, he debated the, or he actually uh, uh, was able to to get rid of the price controls, uh, and and he debated that with a general Clay, who was uh, in charge of Germany back then. And this is how the how the Germans got to growth and to well-being and and to their miracle. 
this was entirely pro-market libertarian solutions. But again, you know, once you have the growth and then everybody's well off, all of a sudden the pendulum swings back. Yeah. And of course, understandable, and this is what Hayek also argued, you, we have to help those who cannot help themselves. The question is just, just to which extent and who. Yeah. If it's the individuals, the privates, or if it's, if it's the state. And there you have the constant debate. And yep. that's what, what probably kicked the Austrians back uh, in Austria, but now we are back again. And we definitely, <laughs> when we run conferences and when we work, we always claim we are the Austrian Austrians. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, I, I interrupted you. So to get back to, um, to, again, how you, you know, your, your own career. So we left off, you know, they, they're not really teaching much of Hayek in the universities. So tell me where you went from there to, to push your career forward, to find, you know, become, again, you know, the president of the, the wonderful Hayek Institute and become the director of the Austrian Economic Center and, uh, of course, a, a renowned lecturer. Well, again, you know, I was, I was privileged and lucky, uh, first of all, because of my family background. Secondly, because I, I, I got curious. And, and uh, as an entrepreneur, uh, you know, you always need to make sure that you're – that, that you're not overregulated, that you're not overtaxed. <laughs> um, and then you ask certain questions. And I was lucky when I was in the U.S. as a young student. I, I, I got into some classes uh, where Austrian school and Hayek especially was taught. And then all of, once you have this in your head, you don't get, you just don't lose <laughs> it. Right. And then later in my career in, in, in politics um, and local politics, my hometown and then the, you, you find out well you definitely have to ask the right questions uh, and those where how do we become competitive as a as a, a business and, and labor location and this you can only look and find out if you are uh, if you do the right structural reforms and guess who did the reforms and who is arguing for these reforms? It's always the people who believe in markets and who believe in a, on a conservative, libertarian, pro-market side. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about Austria now, and 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 for the, I didn't uh, explicitly say this, but you are involved in recommendations in public policy in uh, in how the government and. Yeah, I guess how infrastructure and government are, are, are functioning together with public policy. So Barbara is tied in pretty intricately with what's going on in Austria. Where would you say the country is now emerging from the pandemic? I mean, as you said, because the economics aren't necessarily taught and aren't pushed from a free market perspective and the country had had swung more towards, you know, a more socialistic aspect. Are you finding that is swinging back the other way now? Has the pendulum started to come back because of the actions or are people still you know, in this fear mode? Well, we have put a lot of money on the plate uh, during, the, uh, during the pandemic, as many other countries bailing out enterprises, mm -hmm. uh, you know, doing extra, extra solutions with regards to uh, labor markets, uh, so-called Kurzzeitarbeit, which is, you know, short-term labor, uh, being more flexible, all of a sudden, you know, all those uh, people who work from home, if, you know, um, and we have, uh, of course, industry has suffered a lot because of the lockdowns, the supply chains, um, all this together has cost a lot of money. And in the end, it's the taxpayer who will have to pay for it. 
Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, oh so, yeah, so, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I uh, from an inflationary standpoint, where is Austria situated right now? I mean, in the United States, we're experiencing. The government's telling us it's something like 8.6%. I mean, realistically, it's vastly higher than that. I was just reading a piece um, from, um, oh my gosh, oh, Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey Tucker. I don't know if you're familiar with Jeffrey yeah, Tucker. Sure. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, wonderful. Well, yeah, I love Jeffrey. But he had done some deep diving into our American cost of the supply chains, you know, the cost for shipping, uh, and which is just astronomically higher. And so the real life inflation we're seeing is probably closer to, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14%. So where is the market in Austria situated? And is well, that helping are, you? We are about 8%, kind of the, the average in the, in the European and uh, in the, in the EU and uh, in, in the Eurozone. However, there are countries who have much lower inflation, like Switzerland. Mm-hmm. But they are not a eurozone country, and then of course uh, we have uh, countries with much higher inflation. But uh, you know, it's it's not as easy as that. This time uh, we've had various reasons for this inflation that all of a sudden burst. When we had uh, the uh, the so-called um, uh, green uh, green shift, green technology, mm-hmm. green. Uh, green politics uh, that were embraced by the uh, European Commission and by the European Parliament and then went over to the European Central Bank. But this was um, announced prior to um, to the pandemic, unfortunately, and, and mm. this was kind of one trigger. Then we had supply and demand shocks um, as a consequence of, of the lockdowns caused by COVID, which was the second uh, kind of shock. And the third external shock right now that we see is is the war uh, that is going on in Ukraine. So those are three different reasons. And the most important reason that is hardly being discussed, but that we should uh, name at first, is actually uh, the amount of money being in circulation and that the interest rates have been negative for 10 years in a row in, in mm. the Eurozone. And those are, of course, also for additional reasons. I mean, most importantly, the amount of money being being circulated that rose ever after the as uh, the European Stability Mechanism has been put into place in 2012, 2013, after the so-called financial crisis hit Europe uh, in 2008, mm-hmm. and ever since uh, we have uh, uh, risen uh, the amount. The pandemic emergency programs at the APP, um, the, the asset purchasing programs from the ECB have been shut. Uh, they, are, they are done now uh, as of uh, end of June. And uh, we are now, we now took the first hike in interest rates by 0.25 um, as of July. Okay, so that's so they they've been a little bit less aggressive. Sorry, my dog's walking through the room. Apologies. <laughs> it's early here. You can see the sunlight blasting me from the side. Ah, there we go. Let me put him outside. Apologies. This is no the, the early morning. The early morning recording. So obviously, since Barbara's in in uh, Austria and I am in Los Angeles, <laughs> it's tricky getting it set up. But my house time difference. Right. <laughs> so yeah. So that's interesting. So the central bank there has done a little bit of a slower. Uh, correction for interest rates because our the Federal Reserve here just raised it by uh, 0.75, which was uh, a huge increase comparatively. Although 
I still don't know if it's going to be enough to truly combat inflation in any regard. So from your perspective, what do you think needs to be done? I mean, is it possible to do a true correction to inflation and rein it in without completely crashing the system as it's set up at this point? Well, first of all, uh, as already started, the PEP programs and the APP programs are definitely, hopefully, history. And uh, they are running out, first thing. Second thing, interest rates are uh, being risen uh, step by step very carefully. Another thing. But, uh, and that's the most important thing, monetary policy and fiscal policy has not been separated uh, over the past years and almost the decades now. Mm -hmm. And this is something that should be kept separate. Monetary policy and the central banks should be totally independent. And whereas Brussels in this case in Europe or Washington indeed should, should do what they should do on the fiscal level. And here I am where I would argue that there should be done a lot of work namely structural reforms, making sure that enterprises become more productive, not only enterprises, but the entire labor force is more productive in order to be competitive and in order to get back on track, in order to fight uh, the, the problems that inflation will create eventually. So productivity is key. And if we do not get back on this track, I think Europe will lose out. Yeah, I mean, it's the similar thing we're seeing in the United States as well. And I recall when I was in Austria and, and we're seeing it here and on a global scale, there is a labor shortage. So when we talk about productivity, it's difficult for companies to get back into the market competitively just because finding people to actually do the labor is difficult. And for me, it seems that this is a direct result of the programs, you know, to paying basically paying people to stay home and not to work. And I don't know if now the savings have accrued where they don't have to go, but it just seems impossible that there are so many opportunities and job openings that are just open constantly. And I, I mean, I, I, is it the same in Europe right now? Is it the same in Austria where it's just a shortage of labor that you can't get the productivity level up? It, it, it's totally true. If we look at, for example, tourism, which is a main uh, uh, main part of Austria's uh, industry or, or wealth creator, um, hotels, restaurants, you know, really find it hard to find stuff and to be able to open 24-7 or mm. to to run their uh, restaurants and bars at decent times. They would have to cut the, short, the opening short or also hotels. It's hard to get stuff to clean and it's hard to stuff uh, cooking stuff. It's, it's, it's tough. And one of the results, obviously, is that... Um, a huge mind change after two years of being locked in. People don't want to go back to this risky job in tourism on the one hand, and then they have been paid for not being kind of uh, working in their fields for way too long. Mm -hmm. So I think the entire lockdown, pol uh, lockdown policies were a huge mistake. But, you know, at the end, you always know better. Um, right. Yeah, exactly. The the hindsight twenty twenty. Although I would argue that you know people of our mindset knew in advance that paying people to not work never typically works out. I think in any time it's been tried, it has not worked out. Um, what would you say is a prescription to to try to get things back on track? I mean, I was arguing on a previous show I did that 
from a governmental standpoint, from a regulatory standpoint, and I, you'll probably agree with this, that you have to absolutely slash regulations to make it easier for people to be productive, to produce, you know, the this, this shortage of goods and the shortage of supplies to make it simpler, to lower a barrier for, barrier for entry and also to incentivize people. You know, we know everything with economics is, is risk uh, assessment, right? When it comes to creating a business and running a business, it's risk assessment. What is going to be a benefit or a drawback to the company? And right now, as we go into a, a theorized recession, hopefully not a depression, we have to incentivize people to take risk and become uh, players in the marketplace. So what would you say would be something that government could do from your perspective to incentivize people to get back in that marketplace and become competitive and, and take the risk? Well, first of all, deregulate, be more flexible with regards to the labor laws and the labor market. Um, that's uh, for both sides because it's easy, it's better for entrepreneurs and for and, and for enterprises and also for for the labor force for mm. for employees if there if there is great flexibility and they can deal with each other and um, and and can find the ideal solution. This is one thing. Second thing, of course, it's uh, the level of taxation. High taxation, as we know, has never helped create a good business location. Um, and the third thing, of course, is bureaucracy. Shut bureaucracy down and to keep it as little as possible. And again, overall, structural reforms may be the pension and health system, may be the education system. All these are the big things because Europe also has one uh, one real big problem that is or has been overlooked in the past is our aging as a society and uh, the pension bomb that we mm -hmm. have to to find a solution to we have a similar situation burgeoning here in the US in that and i think globally you're going to have this problem because We've seen birth rate drop, I think, across every country. I know in the United States, the birth rate has dropped uh, fairly substantially. So, yeah, same thing. You have an aging population. You have technology, medical technology, that is obviously keeping us alive longer. And, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> we also need to work longer. And, and that's, yeah. that's not part of the system yet in, 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 in our Western European societies. Yeah. So what do you think about um, kind of transitioning to a different topic? What do you think about the currency options right now that exist? Obviously, we've got the central banks and, you know, centrally banked currencies, fiat currencies. We've got Bitcoin, which oddly enough, you know, you'd think would have gone up as everything else in, goes inflation crazy, but has gone down. And then, of course, there is the uh, the standard of gold, which we all love. Where do you find yourself gravitating towards as far as a store of value? Well, you know, what do you think the best way forward would be? Well, first of all, my, I'm a big gold person. I, I just think this is an old tradition and it's, it's good to stick to those traditions. Second, and now I have to be very careful, we have to distinguish between uh, digital currencies issued by central banks mm -hmm. or by, uh, by private institutions. Uh, central bank digital currency is probably mostly re uh, replacing cash as we know it, and it's not a cryptocurrency in the in the sense that uh, those are private that are out on the market and that are competing on the private market. 
So these are totally two different separate things and uh, I would not uh, want to go into depth of that. But since you mentioned Bitcoin and a couple of others, um, I think there is one thing that is a specter that uh, will hunt those currencies and this is quantum computing. Mm -hmm. And uh, we will have to see how fast and uh, those go and and will be implemented and then we can take the logic next step and see uh, and then see how obviously those cryptos will either disappear or will have a new will be reborn in a different way will be you know I always believe in Schumpeter and in the creativity and in uh, the, this destruction but what is good is on the regulatory level it at least pushes um, back towards uh, big government regulation because those people are always a little bit faster yeah. uh, than the regulatory bodies and is challenging them but uh, I would be very careful to be honest yeah well from a regulatory standpoint I I know in the United States there's a big push to regulate cryptocurrencies and naturally as you'd expect this is the people that have the power that have the currency that is the dominant currency trying to push back against the upstarts and they realize that it is a direct threat to their power because if nothing else government's ability to control the currency is their ability to control virtually everything so is there a regulatory environment developing in Europe and in Austria that is similar to ours where they're really trying to rein it in and basically get their pound of flesh out of people that have opted to look into these alternative currencies? Well, you know, I think Europe and the U.S. is, is, is similar here. The U.S. is always a step ahead of us with, uh, with in that regards. Um, but I think we have more pressing problems these days than, uh, than stepping on people's toes right now with, yeah. with this topic. I mean, if the ECB solves uh, uh, the inflation problem, uh, I think they have a lot to, to roll out, to do and to roll up their sleeves. Yeah, it's kind of funny, I think. You know, it's interesting during a crisis to see what is prioritized by the government, right? You know, so because we are still seeing the push for crypto regulation here in the midst, midst of, you know, this unbelievable amount of inflation. Um, I'm sure you've seen that we've got our, uh, you know, our show trials going on with the January 6th uh, insurrection, as they call it here in the United States, mm -hmm. again, in the middle of this massive crisis. So from your perspective, are you seeing, I mean, is inflation, is the economic aspect top of the news cycle in Europe? Yes. Uh, or is it okay? So it actually is predominant there because, like I said, here you wouldn't think it was even a problem because they seem to cover everything else. <laughs> no, no, inflation is a problem. It, ha it has hit our news, uh, but you know, of course, we have the war in Ukraine going on, and uh, so you know, there are certain people who blame the war in Ukraine for inflation now, and right, that's. Right. that's uh, Ridiculous! It, it's definitely <laughs> one part of it, but but uh, not ninety percent, as yeah. I would argue. It's it's a little part, a small part. Uh, it's still the supply chains, it's the agriculture prices, uh, uh, and all those things. But uh, yeah, it's well, it's funny here they call it. Putin's price hike is what Joe Biden's administration. And of course, you know, you roll your eyes to a similar extent because inflation was running rampant well before this. So are you seeing then 
are we seeing people become more open from on a you know, politicians to down to regular people? Have you seen people start to discuss these different solutions to the the problems that are from our perspective? Are you seeing people look to the free market and say, look, we need to find a solution for this from the marketplace, from entrepreneurs? Or are people defaulting and saying, well, what we need is more government? Well, unfortunately, it's the latter. People mm. think that the government will find a solution. As we know, when what Reagan said, government is not the solution. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that's the thing is, you know, I'm trying to think what from a government perspective, unless it's deregulating, as we're talking about, what possible solution would it be? You know, well, in California, there's a, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I mean, the thing is, provide the right, the right framework and the rule of law. That's a task of the government. And uh, make sure that everybody's treated equally before the law. And I think those are the, the things that we should also look into. And, and then um, the next steps should follow. But the extent you can argue always, you know, the libertarian um, spectrum is, is pretty big from no intervention at all to the order libertarian, um, order libertarians in, in Freiburg who argued for more government intervention. So you can go from two, but most important is individual and entrepreneurial freedom and self-responsibility. And I think this is a value that needs to be discussed. And now that we see for the next generation, at least in Europe, then the, new, the, the kids, the students here, they will probably not be able to uh, buy their own house and, mm -hmm. and own their own apartment or flat uh, because they will not be able to afford it. Because of this, uh, because of the, the issues that we see on the monetary front these days, I'm seeing a lot of younger generation people in the United States. I mean, I guess it goes; it could go one of two ways. Um, I, it can either go that they are ultra, as we say, woke; they're ultra progressive and want pure socialism, um, and they want the government to run everything, or. I'm seeing a growth in the younger population looking at the free market, looking at alternative currencies and looking at a rejection of government control because of the, the factors you just mentioned, because they can't buy a house and they realize that the government is, is if they don't understand it fully, but in part responsible for the inflation in the marketplace, they are looking at uh, censorship has been a huge aspect of turning a younger generation more against government and more towards a free market and non-censorship uh, environment so i'm curious to see and and you know being locked down you know because the, the younger generation two two years locked away you know not unable to see friends unable to go to school unable to to go to work etc i think has drastically altered how a lot of people perceive the world and is that something you're seeing as well uh, you know in your region have you seen more younger people open up their minds to our perspective both and both and but those who really open up their minds they understand uh hayek's uh, pretense of knowledge in society remember his uh, 1974 speech when he was awarded the uh, the nobel prize in economics when he claimed that there is no such thing as full information and that we should be humble and pretend not to know everything and should not believe uh, in what certain people tell us that we should we are supposed to believe in. So put things into questions, look at the facts and the figures, and uh, think for yourself and make your own decision. And these are there are a lot of young people who are 
on that track and I'm glad to know that. Um, but with the cancel culture on the other side, there is people who just simply follow certain, certain groups um, without asking. Yeah, most definitely. Well, so Barbara, I want to I want to give you the opportunity. Is there anything that you think that we haven't gone into that you'd like to mention, or is there anything you'd like to share with the audience here um, that's just on your mind? Something that you think would be timely to share? That they, you know, a tidbit of knowledge from uh, from somebody who is in the know, and as I said, a very impressive figure in our movement. Well, you know, check out our website of the Austrian Economic Center. The Check out our free market roadshow, which is freemarket-rs.com. Uh, send us emails or work with us. Look at our podcasts uh, and also link with Brian in order to get be linked with us. Yes, um, definitely. I think the, the most important thing is that freedom constantly needs to be defended because once we lose it, it's too late. So it's a it's one of the most precious goods that we need to cherish and, and hold dear and uh, discuss and dispute and make sure that everybody understands what it means to be a free individual and to make your own choices without any top down interference and but without you know yeah that's it basically. Well, I share the sentiment completely. I'd like to thank you again, guys, Dr. Barbara Colm. Uh, wonderful having you on the show. Wonderful seeing you again as well. I uh, I greatly enjoyed all of the time I spent over with you, with everybody. Uh, you know, I, I became very close with uh, with Matt Kibbe and Terry Kibbe there, and I thank you for that. And um, yeah, just fantastic, guys. So check out everything that she's got going on. And if you can make it to Europe, it is well worth your time to come to the Austrian Economics Conference, to go to the Free Market Roadshow events and uh, and everything else that you guys do that is wonderful. So thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to uh, speaking to you again soon. Thank you, Brian. more show here uh, by the way so thanks to barbara cohen for joining me on the uh, the program today i do want to talk about a couple more things actually one of them is related because of course barbara is in austria and i want to talk a little bit about what's going on in germany but before i do i want to tell you guys about ip vanish ip vanish of course is one of the most well-known well-renowned services to protect your ip of course it is a VPN, which means you cannot be hacked by people checking your data on the internet. You can't be followed around by advertisers. You can protect your physical location and your IP address. And it is one of the most trusted in the industry. Of course, they've got thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and you can get 70% off subscription for IP Vanish by going to ipvanish.com forward slash lions and using that promo code lions. Get yourself protected today and spend mere dollars a month on this to protect yourself across all of your devices, your iPad, your iPhone, your laptop, your whatever else you're using, your Roku device. One click of the button, you are across the board protected. Make sure to use this, guys. I swear by it. I don't go online without it ipvanish.com forward slash lions promo code lions get that big discount and of course guys join our patreon patreon.com forward slash lions of liberty for all the bonus content the forthcoming do nothing man episode conspiracy corners which we are recording one next week 
It's got to be hot stuff, guys. Do want to miss it. And uh, you can also join on Locals, lionsofliberty.locals.com. And last thing, I will be at Freedom Fest. Go and check out the uh, the link I put in the show notes for Freedom Fest. You can get a discount of 50 buckaroonies off of the conference pass. I know I'm looking forward to seeing a bunch of people there. I know Reed's going. I know Clint's going. I know uh, the Kibbies are going. I know Dave Smith is going. So looking forward to spending some quality time again in Las Vegas. Fortunately, not having to do it in Reno. Now, a couple of things I want to address here. Just current events. I was reading an article by the great C.J. Hopkins. Now, C.J. Hopkins is an author. He has been on the program before, and I'm going to have him back on because he has a new book coming out. Actually, I think the new book is out about resisting the new normal Reich. C.J. Hopkins lives in Germany. He's an American expat, lives in Germany. Right, it's not even expat. He's still an American citizen. Lives in Germany currently, and he was he's been writing pretty fantastic articles over at Consent Factory, which is his publishing house, his blog website, about what's going on with the new normal German Reich and how these people have taken it to a level that we wouldn't even conceive of here in the United States. Well, I guess we could conceive of it because they have made every attempt to try to demonize, to try to censor, to try to uh, obfuscate the truth in regards to COVID, in regards to the COVID regime, in regards to the biomedical fascist state that has been forced upon us. And now, as I'm seeing slowly happen, we are seeing people recount. There was a New York Times, yeah, I believe it was a New York Times author, um, regular columnist who wrote how she was wrong. How this was, she sees now as the data comes out about the lack of effectiveness of the vaccines, the side effects that are pretty prevalent now, the lack of uh, efficacy over time and the short time period in which the vaccine's effectiveness wanes during through to the impact it's having on children compared to the impact of the lockdowns overall. And she is now saying, look, we were wrong. Demonizing the unvaccinated was wrong. Going after these people and, and wrecking our families, destroying businesses, trying to limit these people's freedom of movement and you know, demonizing them online and, uh, and in mainstream media was wrong. But we know that when given power, government rarely cedes that power. And we're seeing that here in the United States. You see Fauci out there talking about, well, we might have to do another lockdown and maybe we'll do more masks. Even though Rand Paul has roundly been beating the living hell out of him in every confrontation they have within the halls of the Senate, we still see them grasping the power. They don't want to cede that power away. They don't want to even blink at the possibility that their emergency powers could be stripped from them. And in Germany, They've taken it a step farther. As C.J. Hopkins has reported on, they have gone so far in Germany as to make, quote unquote, delegitimizing the state a crime. Now, this is overly broad language, I mean, for intended purposes of giving the state permission to go in, jackbooted thugs come into your house and arrest you. And this has actually happened. There's a doctor in Germany that this has actually happened to. They took him, they literally stormed into his house, locked him up, took him away because he had the gall to argue against the COVID state that has been put in there, to argue against this biomedical fascist state that exists. And the Germans now, the Germans, are now talking about putting in place a new health rule, which would basically make masks mandatory from, I think, something like uh, July through October, right? Because the height of the vaccine or the height of the COVID pandemic, this new variant, whatever it might be. 
and making this a new normal. That six months out of the year, you are going to need to wear a mask to go anywhere in Germany. And should you criticize that policy? Should you criticize any of the policies or criticize the power which has been given to the state out of fear, out of manipulation by the government, by the media, and by everything else out there? Should you question whether or not the government should have that power? Well, you could be found guilty of, quote, delegitimizing the state, unquote. When you have language, official language that exists within bills, within laws, in a state, you have accepted tyranny. Anything that is considered to be criticism of the state being liable for criminal prosecution is tyranny. Because, as we just mentioned, it is such a broad application that you could argue that fighting a traffic ticket is delegitimizing the state. Could you not? If the state is legitimate, the state has godlike powers. The state is omnipotent. The state is infallible. To criticize God, do you, not, do you not negate the existence or the omnipotence of God should you criticize him? God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God has created everything, right, according to the Bible and, and uh, <laughs> religious scholars. If you criticize God, are you not questioning the legitimacy of God? And we have provided the state with God-like powers. And in Germany, just like criticizing God, to criticize any aspect of the state could be considered as delegitimizing that state and its absolute authority. So good luck in fighting your parking tickets, Germany. Good luck in fighting to keep your children should the state want to inundate them, inoculate them, and jab them full of whatever it might be. Should the state want to track you? Should the state want to, to uh, force you into a digital currency? How dare you question the almighty authority of the state. Welcome to the Gulag. Now, one other thing I just want to transition to, and then we're going to wrap it up a little bit shorter. I'm actually, I, I think I'm not going to stick to my hour-long uh, format. I know you guys like the longer format, but, you know, just to ramble on to ramble on seems pointless, and maybe you'll enjoy shorter episodes as we all have our attention spans pulled in every which way. And I'll also try to pump out a few more shorter take episodes on Mean Age Daydream solo feed, which make sure, guys, if you haven't gone yet, subscribe if you'd be so kind to the Mean Age Daydream solo feed in addition to the Lions of Liberty Network. I will be publishing extra content on there on the reg, especially now that my parents are finally leaving town. They were down visiting, and I love my parents, don't get me wrong, but, of course, distracting having to do to juggle that with the kid and the work and everything else. But, Please subscribe and give me a five-star review right up on whatever platform you're listening on. Also greatly appreciated. Um, so bless you want to talk about is Merrick Garland, who is not, as far as I know, an international liaison who does not, as far as I know, have any sort of negotiating powers for the United States, for our military, for our operations. Um, no, he is the uh, attorney general for the United States, and his primary objective is to weigh in, to prosecute domestic crimes, domestic unrest, which, by the way, is forthcoming because the Supreme Court's official ruling on Roe v. Wade is supposed to be dropping any day now. Now, they've delayed it. Maybe they'll further delay it until this bill to protect our Supreme Court justices get through. But point being... If I were Merrick Garland, my primary objective right now would be trying to secure the United States against a promised, quote-unquote, night of rage. 
And this is what the uh, pro-abortion activists, the pro-choice activists are saying is going to happen. They are promising a night of rage, a.k.a. destruction of private property for people that have little to nothing to do with the abortion argument. And, of course, the burning down of private property in the way of uh, abortion prevention centers, uh, crisis help centers, whatever you want to call them. And I actually just did a good morning fuckhead. Here's my father calling me on the cell phone. <laughs> I said my parents are in town. <laughs> calling me 50 times a day. So uh, I just did a, a, a GMF. I didn't mean to. I was going to bleep this so I could air it and Barbara could share it without any curses. And then I mentioned my morning rant show, GMF. Well, one F-bomb is going to hurt you things. So GMF this week, I talked about how there are Democratic senators trying to make search results, map results for pregnancy centers that are not pro-choice, right? That are not abortion clinics, but in fact are crisis centers to try to help women come to a different conclusion or provide support, et cetera. They're trying to make those results non-findable should you search for abortion. So these people are psychotically serious about making sure that, uh, that babies don't necessarily come out. So to have Merrick Garland now in the wake of this and the, with the promised night of rage forthcoming, traips off to the Ukraine to meet with their, I don't know, inspector general, their whatever their whatever the functionary over there is that heads up their uh, Department of State and it's a criminal division. Well, he's now going over to the Ukraine because obviously it's vitally important that the United States works to uh, to combine with the Ukraine, who of course is at war with Russia and has a vested interest, by the way, in not reporting things accurately insofar as how the war is going and potential war crime being perpetrated. Well, Merrick Garland's going over there to make sure to collaborate with him so that the United States can now accuse Russia of formal war crimes and obviously boost our ongoing relationship with that nuclear armed country. You gotta love it, right? You gotta love the priorities and the prioritization of a foreign entanglement that has literally nothing to do with us over any number of the domestic issues that we're facing, from the economic woes to the supply chain woes to the Roe versus Wade to the uh, the promised racial issues that are uh, that we're being told are dividing the country at all times to the COVID fascist regime. That stuff doesn't matter. Merrick Garland, obviously bigger fish to fry in prodding the bear that is Russia. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. All right, that's going to wrap it up, guys. I do want to make one announcement. I am formally going to launch a GoFundMe slash Patreon, well, Patreon, really, for Do Nothing Man. I find that I am going to be more inspired to get episodes out regularly. Of course, if you're part of the Lions of Liberty Patreon or Lions of Liberty Pride, patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty or lionsofliberty.locals.com, you can join and get the Do Nothing Superman, Libertarian Superman episodes that I put out, my radio drama that I'm going to work on to get animated. Now, the idea behind this is that I am so busy that I think having some financial weight on the table for me and also some, I guess, demand of some culpability to keep a regular schedule and cranking these episodes out is going to be vital because it keeps me on track knowing I have a promised date. I need to make an episode, you know, every two months and get that out to people that are paying me money to do it. So this is the idea, guys. I'm going to launch it. It's not up yet. I'm going to set that up this week, but just know if you love Do Nothing Man and check that out, Google Do Nothing Man. They're on YouTube and you can find them in our feed. 
If you like that, if you want to support me in creating something I think could be a very potent, very funny uh, exercise in libertarian thinking, then please consider supporting me in that endeavor. And as I said, so I can crank them out real regularly and also get these things animated, which I think is going to take it to the next level. All right. All right. All right, guys. Thank you for joining me here on Mean Age Daydream. Please remember we have several shows here in the Lions Liberty Network. Go subscribe, like, comment, all that good stuff. Share the show if you'd be, uh, be so kind as well. And remember, check out Barbara Colm and everything she's doing with the Austrian Economic Center, the Free Market Roadshow, the Hayek Institute. Amazing work spreading liberty, spreading free markets throughout Europe. Very impressive lady, and I hope you will check her out. And uh, if you got a little bit of extra dosh, guys, it is very fun to go over to Europe and go to these events that they put on. And uh, I look forward to visiting myself. All right. Other than that, have a lovely time. Guys, keep those electric guys on me, babe. And keep that ray gun to my head.